Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hello, uh, and welcome back to Praise Dionysus. Praise him. Praise him. Ah, praise him. Praise. Praise. Yeah. So much of it. Believe in um, yourself. I'm still going. Sorry. It's good. You'll be happy with that. Um, today, uh, no, welcome back to... Do you want to start that again? Nah, keep okay. going. <laughs> <laughs> Raw and real. Uh, well, welcome back to our uh, final episode of the Midsummery. Yeah, twenty twenty three. We did it. We midsummerized. Don't preempt the closure. We have an episode <laughs> have to an get through. Episode. Yes, anything could happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Songs of the Flesh by the Danger Ensemble, coming out by Scott Taylor. And the six guys, an immigrant trans person of color, will date in Melbourne by Dax Carne. Very excited. Super excited. Super excited to be here with all of you. Yeah, it's gonna be amazing. Uh, yeah, fine, fine. How are you? Are yeah. you well? Yeah, uh, as well as can be expected, given these <laughs> tumultuous times. Yeah, unprecedented times. Actually, no, we're back into precedented times now. We're done with COVID. It's over. I don't know how precedented it can be when we're in like a global climate crisis. And the balloons. Go on. The Chinese spy balloons, have you heard? Sounding pretty racist. What? <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, the balloons they shot down in America, the, the American government was like, these are definitely spy balloons. If you had a foil hat on, it would be... <laughs> no, this is like... Yeah, a... No, I agree. Mm. You're, you're yeah, right. Yeah. It's just the sentences. They just sound oh, like... Oh, sure, yeah. I don't know anything about the story outside of what the American government has said, so who really knows? I've been keeping a much tighter eye on the pro- like <laughs> the production of Bad Cinderella, which is not me being a very good political activist. But <laughs> no, I know more about that than I do about the Chinese spy balloons. Do you hope And which one is more dangerous? Time will tell. Do you hope the bad Cinderella makes its way here to Melbourne? Of course. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's another chance for Rob Mills to play a prince. True. Or they could gender bend it and he could be Cinderella. Oh my god. (laughs) Uh, What have you done this week, Jake? This week? uh, No, mostly just like, yeah, school and work and uh, trying to live my life in between those two things and failing at it. Great. Um, Yeah, in terms of actual things that happened, I like, even when I was in the midst of my week, I was like, not a lot's going on. It's really just... Like, it's... it's Barren and empty. Well, no, it's all the minutiae of those two things, you Mm. know, but it's like, yeah. Um, No, but also, yeah, saw some cool shows, ran into people that I didn't expect to see... Yeah, I guess so. that sort of stuff happens. Just no huge landmark events, you know? Right. Um, honestly, for some reason, there's this thing going off in my head of like, bring up that thing that isn't interesting to talk about. Here's the thing that happened this week. Right. We can put <laughs> a disclaimer here. You can skip to a certain timestamp if you don't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was at work joking with my friend Ethan about whether, like, we're both tall. We were joking about being tall and mm. how we're a minority and how people don't take... <laughs> Oh dear. No, in the way of like, we are a minority, like tall people, you know, like technically Statistically are, um, yes. In that if you put anything into a small enough bracket, it becomes a minority. So we were joking about how like the the, the difficulties of being a tall person in a world built for people shorter than us. Sure, what did you come up with? uh, Oh, what, what? Uh, People expecting us to not need help with particular things. It was all these very like things that you should not feel any legitimate pity for. But Yes, always being asked to get things from the top shelf. Exactly, these things, you know, and it's like, yeah, no. And again, this was just like a conversation between two pals. It gets overheard by, like, a manager at my work. And then he sort of, like, yells at me with, like, maybe, like, faux disdain. He's like, Jake, you're not a minority. And it's like, can't I get, like, first off, statistically, yes, I am, because of the tall thing. But it's also, like, I'm a homosexual. You are a homosexual. I'm a homosexual in this time of our Lord, the Midsummer Festival. That is a minority. <laughs> to be called not a minority, it's like, can't <laughs> Life's hard. <laughs> Don't make it harder. And it's, Let's and, all be friends. 
I don't, so I was like, that felt like a stranger. Because like, then, then I said to him, it's like, no, I'm joking about the tall thing, but I, I'm a gay beau. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you're not a minority. It's like, bitch. Did you say that to him? I did. Yeah. I was like, um, you aren't taking that from me. <laughs> and what was their reaction? He just sort of waddled off. And I was like, can't. Mm. You can't just say that to people. Yeah. Anyway, that's the thing that happened to me. That's annoying. I thought so too. That's a, I got called a... Flynn and I were out uh, and got called a, 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 a slur out a the window of a car recently. Were you, were you called a donkey or some such? Were you dressed as in a two-person donkey costume? What were you doing? No, no, we were having gay sex on the street. Right, right. right. Yeah. So you got gay slurred upon. Got gay slurred upon. From a drive-by. From a drive-by, oh, yeah. yeah. He looked the type, so sure. it was fine. And people have more courage when they're driving past, yeah. Oh, they do. Mm. They just can keep going. Mm. But we were left behind. And that's mm. okay. So I, and you feel so disempowered as well. When yes, they... and especially because it's like all the things you could have shouted back at them. It's like, oh, God, oh why sure. didn't I just say this? All of mine are just like, you're old! You know, like, they're <laughs> <laughs> pretty standard. Um, but yeah, no, that sucks that we both got slightly... Microaggression. Yes. <laughs> Especially in the wake of burgers. In the wake of burgers. Did we not all watch burgers? Yeah. Come Did that on. change nothing? <laughs> Apparently not. They all just yeah. kept watching. No, that sucks. No, one of my very first kisses with one of my substantial, like, former lover people was mm. interrupted by being, like, like slurred upon from a car while oh, it was happening. Oh, that's It tragic. was a magical moment. That's, that's a core memory, as the kids say. Absolutely. Mm. How was your week? Uh, my week was fine, <laughs> apart from the hate crime. Um, it was good. What did I do? I, I saw Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Obviously. Oh, is there another There's another one. Movie. Yes. Yeah. Is it related good. to the Woody Allen film Ants at all? No. No. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to check. No, good. Down the barrel. That's not correct. Um, <laughs> yes. So that, that was fun. Um, it, I, I liked it. Well, is it more parallel universe nonsense? Yes, that's what they're all doing now. The, the okay. new phase is all about the multiverse and the, stuff like oh my that. Oh, that's going to be a whole phase? Yeah, maybe. They just introduced Kang, the Conqueror. Kang, the the, the, the Simpsons alien? Uh, no, but I... No. No. Oh, that's right. No. no none of them. No. Kang no. is... It took me a second, but I <laughs> got that. It wasn't a squelchy Cyclops octopus in this one? No, it was um, Jonathan Majors, who, by the way, is just a very, very handsome man. Okay. Very handsome man and a really good actor. Great. Um, playing a blue guy. Oh, great. Yeah, you like that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's sort of weaseling in on Zoe Saldana's turf, but that's fine. Zoe Saldana was not in this one, so I think it was fine. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But she's she plays a green lady. Yeah, but isn't she also in Avatar playing a blue lady? Oh, she is also in Avatar playing a blue lady. I feel like she's lady. been a lot of different no, she's colors. doing a lot of colors. Good for her. Mm, I wanted her to be the new Alphaba, but my opinion doesn't matter when Ooh. these things get decided. Who is the new Alphaba? Is it, it's, um, what's her name? Cynthia Arevo? Yes, and Ariana Grande. Yes. Is that right? I'm excited for that. Yeah? I'm excited for that. I mm-hmm. am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, my week was fine. Oh, in big news, my housemates and I got approved for a house in Thornbury. Oh, sure. So thank God for that, because our house is getting demolished. And we have to move out. <laughs> um, yeah, so they've undone the fun. shackles, because you've got a new place to go. Yeah, exactly. So that's yeah. nice. So that, that's a huge weight off the mind. So uh-huh. uh, if anyone lives in Thornbury, I'm coming at you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be your neighbour. I'll be living there with you. Um, and if you hear me running through the street at night, screaming... That's just how you party. That's just what I do. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's probably the highlight of the week. Great. So I think, I think if I'm giving my week a star rating... Which you should. Which I should do. Uh, I would probably give it... 80. 80 stars out Great. of five, which is how much money more we offered a week for the house. Than they were asking yeah. for. 
Also, oh, that's that's how you sweeten the. That's uh, one of the reasons. One of the reasons. One of the reasons we got the house. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. about you? Would you give your? <laughs> well, we also sent in a really beautiful cover letter. Okay. You know, <laughs> we we got everything in on the first day. I oh. smoothed with the real estate agent. You know, right. Like all these I things. figured it was something in like the you know the the, the, the gobby <laughs> region of favors being. Oh, done. I sucked them all off. Oh, yeah. Sucked them dry. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah. And everyone at the inspection sucked them dry. Said go away. Great. Just left a like a room full of raisins. Is what yes, you did. That's what I did. Good. Mm, good. Much like a vampire would. Yes. Mm, mm. <laughs> How about you, Jake? Have mm. one five, out of five stars. Yes. Uh, here's a new thing we should try. Try giving your week a rating out of those five stars. Okay. I'll give my week a 77, I've decided. Okay. Because 77 is a very pointy, jagged number. It's an unfriendly number, I think. It is, yes. And that's... If that's... you threw the number 77 at someone, it would hurt. Bong, bong! Yeah, yeah that's, that's painful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one in each eye if you aim correctly. So you, you was pointy, and, pointy and harsh because you didn't enjoy your week? Because I was called not a minority. Oh, yes. <laughs> remember that empty anecdote about nothing? That's why I don't remember it, but I'm glad that you reminded me. <laughs> yeah, but now we all know it together. That's nice. It's not really. Um, do you want to talk about some theatre? Let's do it, baby. Oh, James. <laughs> <laughs> you who, Dick? <laughs> I went to the goddamn theatre. I went to the Explosives Factory. Don't make a oh. joke about dynamite. Oh. Don't. <laughs> Kaboom. Ah. And um, you're still here in one piece. Yes, I My am. My plan didn't work. They didn't get me this time. Not today. <laughs> I like that you're the roadrunner of this scenario. Wouldn't and that I'm... be the coyote? You're the roadrunner. I'm trying to blow you up. Wait, who's the one that hatches the plans? The coyote. I just figured that Wiley was the roadrunner... Right, because he's Roadrunner Wiley. is always running and just skipping over the traps like it's no big deal. And the Wiley, coyote. So yes. I'm the coyote. Yes, and I'm the, Roadrunner. Me, yeah. me, 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 me. <laughs> and I'm, I'm the one that goes whoop, 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 whoop as I fall down. Yes. Does Roadrunner put much thought into dodging his traps? No, I think it's quite effortless. I think it's just quite like, yeah, whatever. And just like skipping over them or something. You is know? he even aware he's being pursued? I think he's aware, from what I remember, I think he's aware, but he's just so fast and so good at avoiding these traps that he just does not care. Where is he going? Where is he going? <laughs> Do we know where the Roadrunner's going? No, he's always just in the same... Is Roadrunner the name of an animal? Is that what it is? He, I think I don't think he has a name beyond Roadrunner. Maybe because no one's ever spoken to him, because he's going so fast. Meep, meep. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Where's he going? I don't know. And also, every time we see these cartoons, are they... In a different patch of, like, dirty desert wilderness? I mean, they must... Or, or is he just sort of running back and forth and the coyote's in the same spot the whole time? Maybe, but then he's not going anywhere. He's just, like, fucking around? Like, is he just running for fitness? Maybe it's for fitness. And lives where? And also, is the coyote trying to kill him? Oh, because coyotes eat things, don't they? They do, yeah. As many animals as I want but to do. Often, he often tries to crush him with a rock, so I assume he is trying to kill him. To eat him. Why the coyote wants to eat Roadrunner, and Roadrunner... Do they live in the same neighborhood of desert? Also, could it be different roadrunners? Are, are they a species of bird and he just wants one of them to chomp upon? No, but they always refer to them as, like, the same, like, the roadrunner character. Yeah. Like, it's always... What? Roadrunner speaks only with a signature beep beep. Sometimes misheard as a meep meep. Uh -huh. Oh, dear. <laughs> what? He's very fast. He's very fast. It doesn't say where he's going. Uh-huh. Maybe we should stop talking about Maybe, this. Maybe, yes. <laughs> I went to the theatre. Did you? I did. You're still looking up Roadrunner I'm facts. still trying to find where he's going. You, laws and rules about Roadrunner. Must follow the laws of cartoon physics. That, that's a rule that they've set for Roadrunner. Is yeah, it? Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote must follow the laws of cartoon physics. For example, Roadrunner has the ability to enter the painted image of a cave whilst Wile E. cannot. 
Oh, okay. So if there's a picture of a cave, Wiley Coyote can... No, Rogue Runner can enter that cave and then it is revealed to just be a painting of a cave and the coyote the bonks crashes into, into it. it. Roadrunner yeah. cannot harm the coyote except by going beep beep. <laughs> okay, James, uh, this needs to stop. Because, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> we'll get dragged into the, the deep lore of Roadrunner. I really want to know where he's going. Okay, all right, carry on. Is there a finale? No. Is there a series finale where Roadrunner Where gets is Roadrunner there? going Looney Tunes? Or does Wiley Coyote catch him? Or does it end like Hannibal did? How does Hannibal end? I can't remember. I don't want to spoil it for people. Yeah, fair enough. So you went to the theatre. <laughs> also, I feel like if I spoil it, it means there can't be a season four. <laughs> and is season four a thing that's on the cards? It is in my mind. Oh, okay, right. I so, email uh, Hugh Dancy every day. <laughs> oh, Hugh Dancy. Oh, Hugh Dancy. I'd love to live in a cabin with him and some dogs. Oh my God. Right? That, yes. That just sounds like heaven. And sometimes he'd wear those glasses and sometimes he that wouldn't wear the... jumper, that big sweater. Oh my oh God. Oh my God. And every yes. now and again, his sexy Scandinavian partner would swing in. Yes, which sexy Scandinavian partner? That's Mickelson. Oh. <laughs> Hannibal. <laughs> the titular Hannibal. I'm not having dinner with Hannibal. Yes, I am. Yes, you are. That's my life. <laughs> you are dinner for Hannibal. Oh. oh. So you went I, to the theater. I went to the theater um, and <laughs> I saw Songs of the Flesh. Which How do they sound? Like this? Ew. That's the Songs <laughs> of the Flesh. That, if you did what to the flesh to make it sing? You don't you wanna know. Ew, what, you like pull a bunch of skin off a person? Sexual things. Oh no, so you skin a person entirely and then you somehow hook up all of their skin to a, like a rotating fan. And then you turn the fan on and it inflates like a windsock. Have you seen, there's a movie, I think it's called Roanoke. And like, it's like a horror movie and they like go to the Roanoke Island in America uh-huh. and it's like abandoned obviously. Of course. And it's set nowadays. Uh-huh. And they go through one of the rooms and they're finding all their friends like killed in horrible ways. And one of them has been skinned and is like held up by fishing wires and then puppeteered around like a freaky marionette. Oh. Yeah, that would be the songs of the flesh. That sounds confronting. Did mm. it sing? Uh, for, I can't remember now. I can't well, remember. <laughs> I feel like the, the songs are integral. No, but the songs of the flesh is the sound of the flesh going squish, squish. Oh, it, it did make sounds while it was being marionetted. From memory. I yeah. imagine it would. But it was a while ago. In high school, I was in a short film where a wig started killing everybody. That's a good short film. What yeah. was it called? I Bad Hair Day is what oh, it's called. Yeah. And it would scurry around and go... <laughs> did you make the noise? No. No, I was just one of the stars. <laughs> you were the wig. <laughs> and that's why I'm famous now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to the theatre. You did. I, I saw Songs of the Flesh. That's an example of a song of some flesh. Thank you very much. But it has nothing to do with this telling of the tale. Well, then tell me about the tale. I absolutely will. So it's based on texts by Chris Becky. And then it seems like Stephen Mitchell Wright, who directed it as well, um, uh, has taken these texts and woven them together in a way to tell a story. Okay. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> Sounds like you're Why just not? saying someone wrote some stuff. And someone wrote some stuff, but it's it's, it's it been the process of like taking this like scrapbook of developed great work and then turning it into a theatrical piece. Yep. Is the idea of how it seems to have taken shape. Great. Um, I was excited from the, like about this show, not just because it's from the Danger Ensemble who always makes quite distinctly and deliberately sort of like provocative, strange, like loud, queer stuff mm. happen. Um, because they did that, they did that recent Medea that I saw with all those school children around oh, me, yeah. and they also did that one with all of the brides in the house that confused me. Oh yes, the songs. It was another song cycle thing, wasn't it? Was it Day After Terrible Day? Day After Terrible with Day with the long, wonderful like wedding table. Yes, I yes. remember. Yes, on the one side of the yes. Yes, yes. I remember. <laughs> Semi-immersive sitting in the round. Uh, we weren't sitting. We were waddling around trying not to get in the way of things and not. Oh, get, that's right. And trying not to get tricked into slow dancing. 
What? No, it just sounds like... It's happened to me before! Who would want to slow dance with you? Shut up! It happens often! So we've seen their work before. It happened at Fifi's Fifth. I got slow danced upon, and that ended up being a very fruitful, wonderful time at the theatre. So what? you went to the theatre. <laughs> I went to the theatre. <laughs> um, yeah, and then was sitting there. I was waiting for potentially... There was this very confusing thing that I will not get into the details of because no one finds it interesting but me. But I was potentially going to be seeing it with an Irish man and then he got lost and then his phone died. And so then I ended Irish. up just seeing it with beautiful British Johnny. So we just ended up seeing it together He swapped instead. one UK citizen for another. <laughs> Always have Europeans on the back burner. Mm. <laughs> no, Ireland's not part of the UK, is it? No, half of it is. Half of it is. Okay, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Carry on. Okay. <laughs> sitting there and while I'm waiting there, anxiously to see which European will walk through the door. Which uh, European? <laughs> ah! Um, yeah, sitting there watching, so it was like two performers, so it was Josh Blake and Scott Middleton, and they're sort of doing like, they're dancing to this like, poppy boppy gay music. <laughs> Don't look at me. I like my music poppy and boppy and gay. <laughs> and they're sort of like dancing around, so it's like, I'll describe the space I suppose before I, yeah, they so we're sitting, you haven't been to the Explosive Factory but No, instead, instead of I don't want to die. Instead of facing the direction we were facing for lesbian BDSM one woman show, yes. we're facing in the other direction, which I think was a cool idea because it also gives you more opportunity to project onto this very wide, tall, white wall that also mm. has like the bathroom door in it and like doors to like what feel like very like corporate rooms or something. Oh yeah, and you also got like the curtained off exit door on the left as well. So it almost feels like somehow this very theatrical space also feels non-theatrical in a way. Great, and it also meant that they could project all of these projections that were happening throughout the show onto the wall, mm -hmm. which was cool and then in the center of the space they had this like sort of like bed that had been propped up at the back a little bit so it was kind of rampy facing yep. down towards us and one of my I think my favorite touch of the set was the way that they put like the footlights in mounds of dirt at the front facing the show I love a bit of dirt on stage right I love a bit of dirt on stage Dirt's the fucking best absolutely yeah oh that sounds God. great dirt and not to get sidetracked a la Wiley e. Coyote dirt the Courtney Cox TV series she like runs a like a gossip magazine. It's one of the worst TV shows I've ever seen. <laughs> you know you're speaking to the wrong person for this, but I'm happy for you. I'm not sure if anyone else watched this show. I've never heard of this I show. I made myself watch the first season. What is it I, on? It's, I had to buy the DVD. Oh my god, okay. <laughs> yeah, and even watching it, it felt like, oh, she just wants us to forget that she was Monica and that now she swears and she has sex and she doesn't care who dies Didn't as long as she gets the story. No, this was between them. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. she produced it with her husband at the time. <laughs> oh, oh, rest in peace, David. <laughs> are they still together? Is he dead? David Arquette. He's not dead. Are oh. they, but they're not together anymore, are they? I don't know. Doesn't matter. So I went to the theatre. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah, and I was, uh, another reason I was excited to see this show, on top of all the things I already said, was Scott Middleton is in it. Oh. <laughs> does that mean anything to you? No, but I, it sounds like it does to you. Fantastic. He, he was in Traps. Remember that show that yes, I saw at La Mama? the confusing one that you had no idea what it was about. The one I didn't understand. Yes, <laughs> yes I remember that. Yeah, right? Yep. Uh, but came out of it be, being pretty obsessed with like a couple of the cast members especially and Scott was one of them. Great. Yeah. Because it was just like his like stage presence is so fascinating. I've got to spend so much time watching him fondle that pot plant in the corner. This I swear I know a Middleton. I swear I know a You know who do you know? Maybe I know a middle ditch. Kate Middleton? You know a middle ditch, you know a middle miss and you know Kate Middleton. I think I'm just, I think I'm just getting confused, yeah. We know a lot of middles. A lot of middles. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's kind of a problem for us? <laughs> is it? What? <laughs> I don't know what middle is a euphemism for. Uh, probably, I don't know, like being verse, being bi, 
Um, like those sorts of things. Is that's... that what people call being a middle? No, but I guess if you want to find a euphemism for it, that's what it would be. I guess if you're in a human centipede. Oh no. You're a middle. <laughs> I'd want to be the front. Yeah, I know. Everyone wants to be the front. No one's like, oh, third, please. <laughs> in my mind, I advance to the longer centipede, <laughs> where there's like twelve of them. What about that prisoner one, where it's like hundred? Oh my god, human centipede three. Yeah, you could be the middle of the hundred. Oh my god, and they make the human. Is it? A, I think it's a. It's a worm or it's a caterpillar. I think it's a caterpillar, where oh. they also cut the arms and legs off. Oh my god, that's right. And they're oh. just lying in the dirt. <laughs> oh fuck, that's disgusting. Uh, yeah. So you went to the theatre. I did. <laughs> so it is one of those things, though, where it's like, because it's kind of like based on a bunch of poetry, um, there's a level of vagueness <laughs> that already keeps me at a distance mentally. Yes. Because as we've established... <laughs> Nothing much going on up there, <laughs> Not a lot there? in this coconut. Yeah, not a lot of real estate. <laughs> um, so, but also on top of that, it also did that audiobook thing that we've talked about at length a number of times. The thing mm. of like, instead of things actually happening in the story, they're telling you the things that happen in the story. Yes. You know, so it did that. Which again super valid thing to be doing. It does mean that Jake will not understand what's happening because he cannot take in information that way. That's okay. And that's just a thing that I have to live with, you know? <laughs> that you do so, so well. Thank you! <laughs> Thriving, some would say. Some do say that sarcastically and hopefully yes. behind my back. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you could hear me, but go on. Um, yeah, so it's like, from what I could glean, again, I've, I've done the thing that we both try to do where I don't look, like, we don't research anything. <laughs> we try to just see what we take from the stories that we see. Yeah. Um, and so from what I could grasp, so it's like the whole thing's kind of framed in this way of like via the lens of things like the Bible, largely the Bible, but then also some of the images as well that were projected were kind of just from like old texts. There would be things like diagrams and like Latin words and things that would just like couch this tale in, in a way that made it feel kind of relic-y. And there were also a, a lot of like... Pages of books flying everywhere, and they seem to be like in the projection or actually uh, the, the physical pages of books falling down from things on the side of the stage, like oh, prison platforms on the side. Um, there was a scene that I think happened in a library or something metaphorically like a library. Uh-huh. Um, the, there were books around the bed in the center, so it was like this idea of like history existing in literature. In my mind, at least, it sort of like pointed in the direction of like us all being, in a way, literary figures in the tales that we tell of ourselves and the people tell of us. Oh, yeah. I think there was something in, in that. Subjective beliefs. And even the thing, too, of course, mirrored in the way that, like, it's, a, it's like from Chris Becky's writing, and uh, they have written all these things, presumably from their experience, and now they are being... What's wrong? Is Chris Becky, like, a writer that you're familiar with? No, not before no. this. Okay. No, no idea. Um, but, yeah, they seem really interesting based on, yeah, the text that they've put forth and the things they wrote in the program. Um... But yeah, so from what I could tell, it's <laughs> another one of these. One <laughs> of these things. Um, so it's like these two boys are raised in this like foresty garden thing, uh-huh. a la Garden of Eden, but without like an angry god or a slippery snake <laughs> trying to fool them. So they're just two guys in the woods. But the, and they live in like some sort of like not to ever talk about M Night Shyamalan, <laughs> but you know like the village, the sort of thing where it's like oh yeah, maybe they live in like a little town that has its own little rules. My brain kept trying to turn it into Spring Awakening just because of how recently I saw Spring Awakening, and for some reason, anytime yeah, it's like children learning about themselves in a forest setting. I'm like oh Melchior, <laughs> and not Hansel and Gretel. Not Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> Rest in peace, <laughs> sweet Rest soldiers. In sweet peace. Because there's no chance they got out of that which is No, house. they're eaten. They are a stew. They're absolutely eaten. They are a stew. Yeah, baked <laughs> into a frangipan house. A fran- what's a frangipan? It's like a gingerbread house, but it's made with the frangipani. Um, so 
they're in the, 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 the and it's very like, again like spring awakening it's boys and girls and they're different you have to raise them different yes and then these two boys <laughs> thank, thank just, god that, for that that's just my belief <laughs> <laughs> um and so then these two boys realize they're kind of in love with each other <laughs> yeah cute right and then uh then they move to the city because that's where you go to be gay are there big buildings made of books <laughs> not physically speaking but um, no no <laughs> just no they move to the city and somehow it, it it does feel in the way that the story is told in the way that the set works it feels like oh suddenly very like grey and silver and reflective and city like oh, you nice. know how cities can be <laughs> I do I'm aware they go to the city they're there for a bit they go clubbing that's very clubby <laughs> oh they do a clubbing scene it's clubby how's the clubbing scene as good as ever <laughs> it's always a smart new move I think yes I'm always down to watch people bop on I still just really like the idea that anytime you see a clubbing scene on stage, they're all at the same nightclub on the same night. I think that's really fun. It's really fun. They that's all exist fun. in the same clubbing universe together. The shared, um, the the CU, the clubbing universe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and all these different characters from all these different plays are just there dancing. Together for the one night only. The one night only, then they go off and live their lives. Oh. So they were so- clubbing. <laughs> That's my Ant-Man and the Wasp universe thing. <laughs> What's it called? Anti- Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania. Quantum mania. That's my quantum mania. It is your quantum mania. Thank you. That's one fine. gets gay bashed and maybe the other one also gets gay bashed, I think, separately. Honk, honk. <laughs> Oh, that's right. No, it's not sexual abuse. Wait, what's the honk for? It's, it's just not... a content warning goose. Right. It's not the sexual abuse goose. No, we decided that was too harsh. <laughs> it's just the content warning goose. So Jake's going to edit in a honk honk before that. There I think go. we've warned... Skip ahead if you can't handle me very, very briefly touching on the fact that there's a gay bashing in this play. Honk honk. Honk honk. <laughs> Goes the content warning goose. Exactly. <laughs> um. Then my understanding, because of course it's poetically vague, my understanding is that one of them dies in the gay bashing the other one lives on and how we, <laughs> what, what what gave you cause to be confused? I was confused because they both suddenly had a rose each and then I wasn't sure, honk honk again, because it's about to get sexual in terms of my hypothesis. Oh, uh, an authentic honk honk they both, <laughs> honk honk <laughs> Like, the rose potentially represented... And I thought, I felt stupid for talking to Johnny about this afterwards, being like, did the rose represent their butts and were they raped in this gay bashing? Oh, God. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's... And, I mean, well, rose buds. Yeah. Uh, right? That's a yeah, thing, Yeah, that's right? a thing. That's absolutely a thing. That's a take. But, yeah, so I wasn't sure if they also got raped, but I was pretty sure that one of them... I'm quite sure that one of them died or both of them died, but what I left thinking... And me and Johnny talked about this for a while of like, huh? (laughs) I think one died and then one like metaphorically died in like a phoenix sense of like, oh, this act of hate and violence and loss will turn me into somebody else now. Oh, God. And then Scott Middleton's character then goes on to become whoever that person is. Wow, that sounds grim. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this was not a comedy, James. <laughs> and I'm sorry that you clearly wanted it to be one. <laughs> I'm just so ready for a comedy always. Um, God, okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, that's the tale of what I saw. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you, glad you saw it. Yeah, and it was dark and funky. Quack, quack. Quack, quack. Um, yeah, and cool. Like, it was just the two of the guys talking the entire time. Mm. It was a thing of, like, with my experience with, like, learning about and attempting to make and, like, you know, the amount to which I've studied this type of, like, text adapt- like adaptation theatre... Um, trying to fashion it into something theatrical when the text itself isn't necessarily theatrical? Is there a really interesting like tension to play with in terms of the way that you convey things? So mm. watching the different ways that they turned this text into something living and breathing and on the floor and inside these two men and with all these different stagecraft elements was like an interesting thing to kind of emotionlessly observe. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Do you think you're going to be pushed to read some of the poetry? Um, uh, maybe. Maybe I'll give it, like, a time to, like, to forget the play a bit. Mm. 
and um, then revisit Chris's work. Yeah, as opposed to like, because otherwise I'll just, as I've done before, as like, then I'll fall into the thing of like, when it read, I will then turn into a play starring Josh Blake and Scott Middleton in my head. <laughs> oh, and you can't do that because that's already been done. Well, no, it's like I'll do I'll do it in my head, and that will shortchange Chris's work because it will mean that I'm just you know somehow like inventing fan fiction for this. Oh, it's show. like when you read the books after seeing the movie adaptation. Yes, and then it's like it's always going to be going to be Jamie Dornan. You know, it's always going to be Daniel Radcliffe. Is that Harry Potter, baby? Harry Potter. Is that a? It's my favorite book series because <laughs> I'm stupid. You see. <laughs> I only read children's literature about <laughs> magic. I need there to be goblins. Where are the goblins? <laughs> Before you go on, are there goblins? Look, Moby Dick's pretty good, but where uh, are the Dementors? <laughs> you know what I need? Broomsticks. And I want them to fly. Oh, I want them to fly. I don't think this car is ever going to take off. What's happening? <laughs> that tree's not alive. I don't care. Okay. I think there might be a snake in the plumbing. This is a book about domestic abuse. I don't think there's going to be a snake in the pipes. Um, <laughs> Moving rapidly ra- along. Rapidly along. Great. Um, yeah. So, but of course, one of my largest takeaways was the fact of like me being still pretty deeply obsessed with Scott Middleton. That's a good thing um, to take away. Of course. Um, yeah. So it's, I think it's going to be one of those things that is with me for a while in terms of thinking that he's really remarkable. And I'm excited to see whatever the fuck it is that he does next. On ya, Scott. On ya, Scott. On ya. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. And the, the whole thing, they were sort of wearing these like flesh-toned smock tunic things. I don't really know what a tunic uh, is. Yeah, when you say tunic, what do you mean? A like tunic, a poncho? Like, sort of like a poncho. It was like semi-transparent and it was like... You know when <laughs> I can see my head in my yeah, mind I moving like when a dumb person tries to explain something. That's what he's doing. It, it makes me think of when I was studying children's literature and I never read any of the books, but then I'd have to say something in class about them. <laughs> but like, mm, I think the, the smocks, Jake, the tunics, <laughs> take it back to the tunics. Tunics are tunics like what? Like a like a priest. A medieval wears? peasant would wear a tunic. A medieval so so it's like a smock. It's like a smock. Yeah, it's like I think it's like a very simple wrap around. It looks like a dressing gown made out of hessian sack. They were wearing... It was like turtle-necked. Turtle-necked. <laughs> and it would fall to like their like middle shin. <laughs> and that sounds tunicky. Yeah, and it was like flesh-toned. Flesh-toned in like the, the Caucasian sense. Oh, good. Yeah, just to be clear on the shade. And then... Uh, yeah, and then underneath that, they were sort of wearing like BDSM gear underneath. Oh, that. yeah, which was <laughs> I like that. Sure, that's a pun twist. And that was their look. Um, yeah. So, in the sense of like, if you had to fashion for yourself a BDSM outfit to wear in a show, mm. that was not necessarily about you doing BDSM, but it was like meant to be representative of like the the style of BDSM that would make you feel more Jamesy. What BDSM outfit would illuminate some Jamesness on stage? Oh God. Um. BDSM outfits that would... <laughs> Jesus, that's a big question. Thank you, yes. <laughs> I think I would love... I think it would be fun to wear, like... Like a, like a really intense... Like, you know those rubber masks situate Like the gas mask with, like, the long hoses? Oh my god, yes. I think that with, like, a party hat. Okay. I think would be kind of fun. Where would the hose lead to? My butt. Your butt. No, I think the hose would be loose and then throughout the show I could connect it to various things and oh. that would sort of then flavour whatever the next scene's going to be. What would... I don't know, like, like I what guess... What would connect to? If, if uh, like, a first rough draft, I guess it would be, like, if someone's having a conversation and, like, I'm observing them and I'm entering the scene, I'd, like... Well, what the fuck do you want from me, Jake? <laughs> I just think it's so funny to think that, like, you're trying to, like, eavesdrop on their conversation <laughs> and, and like... hold their little tube up. Yeah. <laughs> 
first draft. I don't know. Maybe like everyone comes on and everyone has like like a big water cooler type bottle in like a different shade or something, and it, like that represents something to do with their emotion at the time. And then yeah. you sort of come in, you like plug your little gas mask into that, and then you sort of tune into that, and that's what the next scene is or yeah. something. And like maybe that character is sort of like some sort of silent observer or something that's just always present. Oh my god, that's super fun. Like, that's something. Especially if, like, your performance in the show was, like, just physical. Yeah, exactly. Like, spooky slowly physically moving around the space in a spooky BDSM way and then just sort of observing all these scenes. Yeah, and I you... I kind of like that. That's... I really like that a lot. Somehow it feels somehow immediately akin to, like, that unnecessary guitar player in Mad Max Fury Road. You mean Iota, the amazing Australian cabaret performer? Do I? Yes. <laughs> they, they played Frankenfurter in, I think, the 2001 Rocky Horror show at the Comedy Theatre. And was the guitarist in Mad And Max was the guitarist, uh, the one with the flamethrower guitar. Incredible. I love that. That's a bard. That's great. Great. <laughs> um, what? What, what, what would you wear? What would bring out the Jake in you? Um, a paper bag. On <laughs> Honestly, it wasn't far off. I was thinking maybe, like, if you got... So, like, imagine, like, a traditional stage... And then the, at the back, like where the backdrop would go, mm-hmm. just like a sheet of leather. Oh, yeah. And then it's just my little head popping through the middle. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> and then my two little hands, also in like latex in gloves, uh. also popping through the leather. Oh, yeah. And then somehow if the head and the hands could move independently of each other and could like smoop around. So you would have your head and you'd have like two other actors being the other arm so they could move. But it would look like really mine. Far. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, and that's then, great. And it would like the leather would permit enough movement to be like the hand could come the whole way even like out to the audience oh my god could come back in I love the idea of like some character like pissing you off at the end of the show and then all you just go and all the leather swoops forward and just yeah. swallows this person that sounds incredible that sounds great and you know also we should write this show it sounds fun to <laughs> yeah, me yeah yeah that's great mm. it can be called uh, it, be, uh, it can be called something that stands for BDSM something that's st- it'll be like four words that start with a BDSM like Oh, but, and you don't realise until you come to the show and you're like, oh, that meant... Blah, blah. That meant BDSM. Yeah. yeah. You like that? I do. I'm into a lot of what just happened. Mm. Okay, great. There's some thoughts for you. You do can't we... use those ideas. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> don't <laughs> or, steal it. Or do. That would save us a lot of effort. <laughs> don't steal mine. I'm petty. Uh, you are petty. Um, Thank you. No problem. Uh, great. Uh, are we done here? I think so. Let's talk about a different show. Heaven. Unless you know where, where Roadrunner is going. Oh god, give me some I can't figure it out. There's no information about where Roadrunner's going. Right in, let me know. I wanna know where Roadrunner's going. James, I have a feeling you have something to say before. So the only thing <laughs> I can find about where Roadrunner's actually going yes. is it says the Roadrunner I'm looking at this is the Looney Tunes wiki. Of oh course, course. yeah. <laughs> the um, Bible. <laughs> and it has like a bunch of rules that the cartoon must follow. Like they have these rules that when they were writing the show that they yeah. had to follow. Okay. And number five is Roadrunner must stay on the road for no other reason except that he's a roadrunner. <laughs> Which seems to suggest that yeah, he's not actually going anywhere. He's just running on the road because that's what he does. Oh, no. Locked in an eternal struggle to get to the end of a road that doesn't end. Are you making that part up or is that in that's the That's me making that up. Yep. God. All yeah. right. Well, that's grim. Let's but Jake see. went to the theatre. I went to the theatre. How did you guess? Because you got a program in front of you. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we're doing a podcast where we talk about theatre in Melbourne. Look, you know what? You put, put the evidence together and you've come out on top. Thank you very much. <laughs> I went to Chapel of Chapel. Heard of it. You have? Yeah, once or twice. Oh, your finger's on the pulse. Thank you. Yes, I went with Connor Dariol. Yes, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, friend of the Jake. Friend of the Jake. Yes. I've never met Connor. No, Fix let's that. keep it that way. <laughs> I don't want my world to Connor, come and find me. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, so I went to see Coming Out by Scott Taylor, and the music was by Robert Taylor, because there's music in it. Oh, the Family Brothers? Family, yes. Oh, that's nice. Good guess. And again, you're a really good detective. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> I heard the names and I put two and two together. <laughs> um, yeah, Four. and I got to meet Scott afterwards. So part of what I'm going to be talking about is somewhat, like, a little bit coloured by the things that he's told me about the making of the show's process. Handy. And the way that the show was sort of hit... The community? Ow. <laughs> just, you just hit yourself in the face. I hit myself in the face. <laughs> Don't gesture, kids. We're very expressive during the show. We are. It's the gayness. It's the mm. heinous gayness in the anus. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I went to the show. It's called Coming Out. And James, I'm showing you the like the image on the front of the program, which is also the image from the poster. Could you describe what it is? All right. So what I'm looking at is the background is like a, like a swoopy rainbow. Mm-hmm. And then in front of it is like... Three women, well, three female presenting characters, mm-hmm. staring across at a, what looks like a man hiding in a closet, mm-hmm. and then standing gi- like gargantuanly over them all. Godzilla esque. Godzilla esque is this what looks like a femboy, like a <laughs> like a like a sexy, muscly person in like a little mini skirt and socks and heels, doing a coy little oh pose. <laughs> sure, is what I'm seeing. Great, and it's all hand drawn. Great. And then if you could, from this, guess what the show was like? Oh, boy. I guess I would say, I would assume that it's like a, like a group of people helping their friend come out to be a big queen. <laughs> and what, like, in terms of tone? It, it looks like a comedy. Great. Like, it looks like a funny, silly camp time. Maybe a bit of a drag show uh-huh. is what I'm picking up on. Great. That's what I'm predicting. Fantastic. And now you tell me how right I was. That's a fun prediction. Yes, you are pretty off the money. Yes, good. <laughs> which I think is hilarious in terms of marketing and poster doing. <laughs> what, so what is the vibe of the show? Um, well, Straight up. So like the, because I yeah, spoke to Scott about this as well. Uh, because yeah, Connor and I also immediately spoke about that at the moment that like the show, like at interval, we were like, that poster is not the show we just, like Oh really? Is that different? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. But it's, yeah, it does say a little cabaret, a little drag and a lot of drama. Oh! It's like a little, like, subtitle little caption thing. Mm. Yeah, no. And again, that's all fine. I love a betrayal like that. That's fun. Because, yeah, it's sort of like the show begins in terms of, like, it, it almost pulls, like a, like, a false protagonist thing on you. Oh. Like, it does the thing where it's, like, the show starts and it's Stephen Loftus on stage and he's, like, sh- like w- w- I guess initially feels as if is the show we're watching, where it's, like, he is this, like, beautiful performer person doing this cabaret about... The, the, the way he is gay and a performer and, and the, the things he's dealt with as a young gay man. Sure. And then that gets ruptured. First off, by a surprising number of, like, mobile phones in the audience going off. <laughs> Terrific. So people were <laughs> just not, not paying attention. No, all of Act 1. Rude. There was, like, a lot of, like, yeah alarms and text messages being received. Oh, my God. And phone calls getting ignored. And it's like, bitch... <laughs> Have we learned nothing <laughs> at this point? It's like, sure, oh, that's fine. That's so Honestly, rude. it kind of added to like the real community theatre energy of the audience. Somehow that's a vibe the audience brought, which I'm always into. Yeah, you sure, know? totally. Like it didn't go full-blown Judy Australia 1964. <laughs> that audience went off. God, that audience was just that crack. Was so good. <laughs> um... But yeah, so there's a lot of that, which honestly maybe added to the moment of like a phone went off, maybe like the seventh phone to go off. <laughs> and then Stephen's character Hello. W- walked into the. <laughs> yes, I'm in a play right now. <laughs> I can talk. <laughs> Stephen's character goes into the audience and is like, oh, is he going to confront one of these buffoons? Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And then it, but it ends up that it, it's a character from the play that we are actually going to be watching. And then, so oh. then Scott leaves playing this character that has come to see the show that we thought we were watching and like leaves across the stage to exit. 
Okay. And it's like, oh, <laughs> high concept. Fourth wall shattered. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, oh, this show's going to be different to what it seemed like it was going to be based on the poster and the first 10 minutes of it. Yep, yep. <laughs> Which I'm into. Yeah, I love a, I love a surprise turn. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, if they're capable of this, what else is to come? And I'm about to hear what I'm about to hear. <laughs> Again, we are having a podcast about theatre. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. I feel no need to have any diction. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so then it keeps going. And so then what then proceeds to happen? Stop it. <laughs> you stop it now. Well, you can say it now Indeed. and then. Um, yeah, so then it's like, so then we enter into, and this is when it starts, oh, we're, we're not seeing the poster play. We're seeing this other play that we've all been bamboozled into watching. Secret play within play. Secret play. <laughs> So. Revenge on my man! And then we start watching. The what was play. that? That was from 30 Rock. Oh. <laughs> so then we Take got... another little piece of my heart now, baby! <laughs> Uh, so then where a lot of like the play could be described as being like a family drama almost like a wedding like no, like, a, like a marriage drama okay like a play about two people in their like mid 40s oh like a heterosexual couple I know that's maybe the wrong terminology to use given the subject matter but it's like a woman so a woman played by Perry Cummings and then Scott Taylor is the husband mm. the husband is the one that came to see Stephen Loftus's play oh. that left in the middle because he was uncomfortable and so Stephen Loftus's play <laughs> that we're first off watching that we then that cut- was the play within a play yes ah. <laughs> we started off in that play mm. so we didn't realise that we were already inside of one. Oh my god they incepted you <laughs> a little bit that's yes. great and I was already at the ski resort what's the second level of the inception plan second level of the inception plan is, is that... they're driving around in the real <laughs> world I think no they're on the airplane in the real world then they're driving around in that like high chase that high speed chase and then and Joseph then... Gordon-Levitt is falling around the corridor I think the hotel's later I think the th- second layer is Stephen Loftus doing a one-man That's show what it is. about yeah. sex. <laughs> Good on yeah. it. And it's all very, like, Stephen Loftus's cabaret inside of this show, which is also where all of the songs happen. Mm-hmm. Like, any of the songs that exist in the show happen in the Stephen Loftus play. Great. The Stephen Loftus of it all. Yes. And so we keep cutting back to the Stephen Loftus play... Because the Loft of Us. The Loft of... Well, it's not that's a... That's a Last of Us reference. Carry oh, on. Oh, again, I've only heard one episode described to me, and that's, that's the extent fine. to which I've experienced that that's show. That's okay. Um, so we keep, throughout the the play coming out, which we are watching as an audience... That that's Stephen Loftus's show. No, coming no, out okay. is the <laughs> whole thing. Coming out, the one that I'm holding the program for, <laughs> yeah, the was play. at Chapel Off Chapel, and I saw it with Conor Dario. Yeah. Inside of that, there is another play starring a guy that looks just like Stephen Loftus, okay. and it's about his autobiographical experience of gayness recently. Okay. Um, and he has... And so we keep cutting back to that, because that's why it felt like a false protagonist thing, because you you start off thinking that it's going to be Stephen Loftus's show. And then it's turned around to be Scott. Because he almost ends up being more of a plot point and then almost feels kind of like a writer insert as well, in the way, because then it's... Stephen Loftus. Yes, the Stephen Loftus character in the cabaret yep. inside <clears throat> of coming out. <laughs> yes, no, I'm aware. Yeah, because the, 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 the husband in this 40-something couple has come to see Stephen Loftus's one-man show yep. because they have a sexual history together. Oh! And uh, while watching the Stephen Loftus play... Yep. Um, no, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. St- Stephen Loftus tells the story of sexcapades with the husband. Because it's the sort of thing right. where it's like... Yeah, where they sort of like have connected, but the age difference was too much. But there's this like confusing sexual thing between the two of them. So, you know, it's like this right. vague. When they had their sexual history, were was Scott's character married? 
Um, that's part of what then gets discussed between the couple. Right. So it's like this uh, classic sort of like almost birdcage style thing happens where Stephen gets invited over for dinner and then the wife gets to know him and then the wife attends... Because this the, the play itself happens within the season run of Stephen Loftus's one-man show. Yep. And so the wife goes to the show at least two times. <laughs> the first time she goes, she like run, goes backstage afterwards... And some of my favorite scenes happened in like the backstage component of Stephen Loftus's one man show. Like that was some of my favorite scenes because right. I just love a backstage scene, you know? Yes. Oh, someone just like not fully wearing their costume and like doing their makeup in a mirror. Mm. Especially if there's going to be a moment of them like in a kimono turning to the audience going, oh. That's camp. <laughs> oh. That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, so she goes and then he tells the story in the cabaret of his entanglement with her husband. And oh. so she's like, oh, <laughs> so <laughs> you banged my husband, eh? <laughs> and then there's a whole thing Hijinks about that. Hijinks since you. Hijinks since you. Um, but even, even hijinks is a bit strong. Like, it, it's more, like, once those facts come out, a lot of the play ends up being about the wife and the husband negotiating how to move forward as a couple and how important it is to establish whether or not the husband is secretly homosexual, Mm. if he's bisexual, if he only loves his wife and then hot men, or if he only loves this one man sort of, or or if there's like, because of his oppression of his gayness, it's fungally grown into something that it wouldn't if he had a healthier ability to explore it in a way that didn't make At it feel oppressed. At what point do I need to cut in? <laughs> cut in whenever you want. I d- yeah, th- th- that's kind of what... And it's a lot of, like, de- so many of the conversations throughout the bulk of the play, which is occupied by this husband and wife going back and forth about, like, did you betray me? Are you a homosexual? How can we move forward? What did you do? What is the exact timeline? How old yep. were you when you did this? When when we got married, did you know we like you were gay? Blah 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 blah. Yep, 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 it's yep. a lot of pinning down facts, and certainly by the end of it, it seems like and this is like a lot of what I spoke to Scott afterwards about was the idea of like how important it can seem to people to put people in boxes, to put labels on things, mm. to understand the yeah, the, largely that of like how helpful labels are. When it comes to relationships and also like social identity and nowadays being in this world of those things, having real social capital in them, you know, and the commodification of particular minority groups and the way that people wear their labels because of like the the soothing comfort of sort of knowing who you are and what you are Mm. and being able to kind of like enforce and instruct everyone on how to treat you. Like when we were talking about Thrive and the aversion of talking about the trans experience being wanting to embody and be the person that will get treated the way that you want society to treat you. That being a take on the trans experience um, sort of feeds into this dialogue as well of, yeah, wanting to have labels. And it's also points in the direction of like pronouns as well, of course. Mm. The thing of, yeah, knowing what you are and then telling people what you are and then the expectations you have surrounding the way you'll get treated once they're aware of who you are. That type of thing. Jeez. Is there anything you have to say about any of those issues I'm still so trying to compute what you're saying. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> a lot of what I spoke to Scott and Stephen about afterwards with Connor in the foyer after the play was over mm-hmm. was with the bulk of the play being taken up by this husband and wife talking about needing to pin down whether or not the husband is gay or bi. Yep. yep. Or picking with, a label. Picking a label. <clears throat> And, yeah, then talking to Scott afterwards about, and, yeah, him being, yeah, like a different generation of gay man to me, Mm. and him telling me stories about 
um, his experience of men struggling in their middle age with like unmet desires or or sort of like wishing that they'd had even like a, a gayer experience of some of their sexual yeah. life um, or being gay but in a heterosexual marriage with de- like varying degrees of happiness and satisfaction in them. Um, yeah, and the people that he's encountered throughout his life that fall somewhere in this spectrum of comfort and honesty and openness. Um, a lot of what we talked about and what I now want to talk to you about is mm. the idea of... Are we? Because I, <laughs> I suppose my like Plato-y perspective on these sorts of things, I guess, is like the, the, a very sort of rudimentary idea of how these labels are helpful. Is like g- providing people with the comfort that is afforded by having the labels necessary to make people feel comfortable with who they are. Because uh-huh. it's like once you have the language for a thing that you suspect about yourself, you can grab onto it. You can find other people that also fall under that umbrella. You can have it the, gives you a word to Google and learn stuff. You can Google them. Yep. And um, it can validate so much about yourself. Mm. It makes you feel less like lonely and insane and lost. And it gives you that reassurance that language can afford you. Not to mention, yeah, like the social construction that it also like enables you to access as well, as yeah. you're saying. Um, but then it seems like the next stepping stone beyond that is like once the acknowledgement of this like <laughs> like rainbow of labels that exists is there and embraced like the pr- like presumably the next stepping stone which again points back to things that we talked about when we talked about thrive the idea mm. of like the necessity of a queer community and what it affords people like the next step beyond getting enough labels printed for everybody to feel like they aren't alone and that they matter and that they're seen the next step is then to like scrub them all clean of any social stigma so that then people yeah. can feel comfortable to potentially like waddle between these different groups and not yeah. feel so factionalized and not feel fearful of expanding beyond what they're comfortable with because they're already they're still so exhausted from finding that version yeah. of themselves. Yeah. And I think I think that's that's the the, the next step is just sort of learning that you, you don't need to stick with one label. You can just move between them if you would like to. Yeah. Like that's allowed. Yeah, and getting to the point where that's an exciting prospect. Yes. And, and not that type that of growth. Mocked and jeered. Mm, yes, yeah. and you don't have to walk through all these different like firewalls every mm. time you want to like explore a new part of yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's interesting. What? What? I don't know where to go with this conversation. Sure. No, that's fine. Yeah, no, there was also like, and as I <clears> said, <throat> once we sort of realised that Stephen Loftus's character was no longer the protagonist, we then all that really happened in terms of his existence was we kept getting different grabs of his show within this show. Right. Which, again, in, in the way that it felt sometimes like it was a playwright insert type of thing, he had things to say about blood donation and how we still can't do that. Mm. Um, and just the different fashions in which, yeah, gay people still exist um, in an oppressed sense. Okay, yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah, it was something. I yeah. would see, I would see, I would see, a, that, I would see Stephen Loftus's cabaret. You would, why? Just sounds like a good cabaret. The show within the show. Yeah. 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 It was nice to hear some original music. That was nice. Mm. Um, and also Olivia Piplos was playing kind of like the daughter, and was also playing like kind of everyone else they needed to beef out these scenes. There was this like scene that sort of <laughs> came out of nowhere, which of course is always a good thing, where it seemed like Perry Cummings's. Um, wife character was opening up an art gallery that was like feminist themed. We only yeah. got one scene in this <laughs> terrific of this entire throwaway so feminist like, gallery. Yeah, it was like Perry and Olivia just like walking around looking at all this art and referencing the Bechdel test, and it's like, oh, what's That's this? <laughs> um, yeah, no, and yeah, Olivia was such like, a wonderful presence on stage, so it was nice to see. Yeah, it was nice to yeah to see her like spread her wings and be all these different people because it was always nice to see her. Um, especially thought too, like Perry Cummings was like so impressive. Um. And 
in the way of like she had a lot of stuff to say delivered it all real passionately and i'm also just always going to feel warm towards any like a woman playing a mother in a very like recognizable oh. like sweetly maternal kind of way anytime a mother is involved in a story i'm on the mother's side right oh my god especially when she's like miserable or yep. furious or put upon yes yep. absolutely oh my god if i see a mother being mistreated that makes me cry yes that, that always gets me gets because me going because she'll kill herself she'll kill like herself. in muriel's wedding or like when her when her child oh my god stop it or like when her child shouts at her or something or like gets oh angry at her and she like, raised she you. raised shut up <laughs> um obviously there are exceptions mothers can be evil oh lots and they're even better <laughs> i love an evil mother you're a medea apologist i am a medea apologist a medea apologist what medea apologist <laughs> is what i am okay mm-hmm. that's a bold stance to stick with it <laughs> yep great i'd say one of what and i'll just say one more thing like and <laughs> i think one of my favorite things that happened in the show was that Stephen Loftus also played the like the the bickering couple's visiting straight son, <laughs> and I loved it. <laughs> but, <laughs> because yeah, before meeting him in the foyer, Stephen was a total goddamn stranger to me, mm. and so then I sort of just assumed that this character that he was playing in the Stephen Loftus play inside the play, yep, was like, quite close to who Stephen is as a person, based on nothing. Maybe it's just me being stupid, not understanding how acting works. But I figured, oh, Stephen is this like confident, flamboyant, drag-esque performer. I don't know what drag-esque means. He wasn't in drag, he was just yeah. pretty. <laughs> drag-esque seems like a word we shouldn't bandy around. No? No. Okay, I can't have them, yeah. No, no bandying. No bandying, don't want the drag queens coming after me. They're, so, the, yeah, so then when Stephen put on this like beanie and a shirt and came on playing this like son eating an apple <laughs> I just really enjoy and it's in the last couple of years I've really started like getting a handle on why I enjoy it so much but I love gay people like I really love gay men playing straight guys because I think it's just very revealing in so many interesting ways totally it feels it feels adjacent to a straight guy playing a gay guy it's like it, all the same sort of things get revealed you think so? I think so in terms of like we really sometimes we just don't know much about each other for sure. Okay. Sometimes we can't do it. Right. And I, th- I, th- I, th- I, don't, I don't think I could confidently play a straight man. No. No. Confidently in the way of like, if you'd been cast to play it in like, like a convincing way. Yeah. I don't know if I can genuinely do that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Like even when I am trying to be like more masculine and straight on it. And try not to get gay bashed. Exactly. Yes. I still feel <laughs> oh my God, like When I'm you're getting... walking past high school students, like high yeah. school boys. Immediately fear. Oh my God. And immediately like. And it's like, what am I wearing? What am I wearing? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Shit, I should I shouldn't have worn my fisting gloves. Oh. Um, yeah, I'm going I to the bank. It. I have to wear my fisting gloves. How does Stephen do? Um, oh, it's great. Munching on an apple, wearing a beanie, kind of being a bit that's gruff. That's right. It's straight. And that's the thing. I think, and maybe this is simplistic or something, but I somehow feel like it's more revealing in the direction that they did in this play as opposed to the opposite that you're describing. Mm. Like, I think when you see straight guys play gay guys, I think it's less interesting because, I don't know, I feel like... It's taking away roles from gay actors. Well, of course, there's that thing that only I am mad about. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then um, I, I think that doesn't interest me because, yeah, it feels a bit, always a bit like mockery yeah. and always a bit like they're adding these flourishes that are based on stereotype. Whereas if you go from, like, overtly gay to straight, mm. I think it's somehow there's, like, there's this, I don't know, this tragicomic oppression that happens or something or repression where it's like the gay guy having to like as you're sort of describing when you're walking past boys it's mm. like you have to scoop so much of yourself into yourself and then hide it under a little rug and then be this version of like this guy yeah and like and we all have a version of that guy well you have to or you'll yeah. get stabbed in the face exactly yeah um 
and I don't know, I think even just that practice, and that's kind of part of what this play is about too, like having to smoosh yourself down into a version of yourself that people aren't going to like spot your secrets. I'm glad to see after after seeing the poster, I'm glad, it's a refreshing change to hear it being about like people a, a man in his forties. Oh my god, like, 100%. That, that's a really refreshing change. Yeah, that I quite like because like you don't stop you don't stop having stories worth telling once you get no. past thirty five. No, yeah, and also um, your queer experience, your queer journey doesn't stop at any point. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it can start at any point. Yeah. Yeah, queer it up. Unless that pill you're working on starts working. Oh, don't (laughs) stop it! (laughs) My pill to kill everybody. (laughs) (laughs) That's my pill. Not that pill. Oh, different pill. The pill to cure my straightifying pill. Yes, (laughs) it's going to be called perp, so people get it confused with prep. Oh, you're going to sneak it in that way. Sneak it in that way, (laughs) man. God. You like that, Jake? No, it's really sad and scary. (laughs) Partly because you'd make so much money. Oh yeah, and that's what makes me say it. <laughs> You're the one that invented this pill, Jake. <laughs> Moments ago, with Moments. my words. Yes. <laughs> hey, James. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I went to La Mama. Oh, Mama. Not the courthouse. Oh, the HQ? Yes. Where they coordinate from? They do. In the headquarters? That's where they quarter all the heads. Yes. <laughs> it's a barbaric place. <laughs> I went to see the six guys an immigrant trans person of colour will date in Melbourne. Nailed the title. Well Thank done. you. I never do. I always have to be reading it when I say it because I'll leave one of the words out. It's a lot of lot of different people. I can't retain stuff. I'm a broken fishing net and that's just the life I live. And that's fine. Carry on. Thank you. Dex Carne played the lead. Great. And it's about... It's like based on seemingly the story of them coming from Manila, coming to Melbourne mm-hmm. as a trans person of colour, and then then <laughs> I imagine it leaps off and becomes somewhat fictional in the way that then we are sort of like paraded through six guys that Dax has dated in the story that we are told. Yep, sure. Yeah? That's a great premise. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 nice in the way that it's like inbuilt episodic. Exactly. Which is always it's attractive to It's like, up. Oh. Yeah, and I'm also such a fan of any time, and this is a very mixed, divisive thing, but I like it any time you know how long you've got to go. You've said and this I, before, and I fully agree with yes, you. Yes, Connor hates it. Don't know why? His opinion's wrong. <laughs> yeah, I love knowing, like, it's it's like when I when Fringe is on, you know all the shows are an hour long. You really learn how long an hour is. Oh my god, yes. Yeah. To the minute. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh, this is running over. <laughs> we just rounded 46, and I'm pretty glad about that. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. When a show finishes before you think it's going to, no matter how bad or good the show is, it's always a dream. Because <laughs> then you got free time! You got free time! <laughs> That's drink time, baby. <laughs> yeah, no, I think Connor comes at it from the different angle of, like, he doesn't like it because he assumes that the show's bad, and then it's like, oh, we've still got three more of these? <laughs> Right, is his issue. And I, I think this is more. I see. I see. This is more about theatrical trauma than it does about anything else. Yeah, Jesus, had some yeah. bad experiences. Yeah, well, haven't we all? No. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, and I do need to flag immediately, of course, that um, I don't know if you know this person, Sebastiano Petruzzello. I'm vaguely familiar. Vaguely familiar. Yeah. Yes, he's perfection with legs. I'm <laughs> familiar with how grating his name sounds in your mouth. <laughs> you say it uh, so often. Anything I care about immediately becomes grating to anyone that I bring it up to. Yes, and that's great. <laughs> because I talk about it too much. So Sebastiano is in this. He is. He's one of the three people in it. Yeah. Great. <laughs> great. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, Dax Kane is the central element of it. And then Sebastiano plays the six guys. And then Omar Tabash is playing Dax's friend who came from Manila over with them. Mm. Um... And, yeah, so that was all the facts you need yeah, to right. get into what the story then ends up being So Sebastiano about. plays six characters. He does. Terrific. The six guys, a trans person of colour will date. 
in Melbourne. Well done, you didn't even look at the words. Thank you. <laughs> and so it was great, like from the start, we walked inside, so I was with Blonde Haley. we sat in the front, and it was like immediately walking into that space, it was like, ah. Oh, it just felt like midsummer. It was like mm. the walls were like red curtains and there was like a big gaudy mirror upstage at the back. Oh, fun. And there was a, like a little risen platform and it's like, I'm home again. Yes. <laughs> there is something comforting in, in, especially in La Mama, I think. Sure. It's just, it does feel much more like, oh, this is just community theatre that everyone loves. Uh. Theatre for, by which I mean theatre for the community. Indeed. Mm. Mm. Uh, so then, yeah, so we're sitting there, we're in the front, the show starts, and then it's like immediately direct address from Dax at us. And I really enjoyed all of us getting called thirsty hookers. <laughs> Terrific. Yeah, that's the thing. Like from the get-go, it was just super duper obvious that like Dax was just gonna like keep the show moving, was so like charming in this way, like in this just like uncommon, difficult to describe kind of way of just like, the, the energy and the language that Dax uses is just like, I'm happy to sit back and relax and just like, let him handle it. Yep, you know? nice, that's um, Yeah, it felt super duper good. Uh, and then yeah, it gets moving and then yeah, we sort of like dive into these dates that happen um, and there's like, so <laughs> who does Sebastiano end up playing? So it's like, he plays an Italian philosopher. It's like, I spent the whole time being like, which one's my favorite? <laughs> and which one's closest to the true Sebastian? Indeed. Mm. That's a really good question. Italian no, philosopher. That's the thing. And I'm trying not to get hung up on talking about Sebastiano too much because I will do it. I'll do it, James. Don't I mean, push he plays me. six characters. It seems like it'll be hard not to talk about it a bunch. <laughs> I'll run through it in a way that makes me sound very cold and detached. I'll try. <laughs> Sebastiano, I'm sorry for this. <laughs> um, so he plays an Irish plumber who seems perfect, but he's not. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> murdery? Not, well, uh, murdery? No, not murdery. No, he's, right. he's got a secret. Okay. <laughs> um, he plays, no, I can't go through it like this because it feels incorrect. I'll just give you like highlight things that... Say things that you liked about the show. I will. So it's like, it's all sort of like hung in this understanding that I, in a way that I liked because it was never kind of explicitly said, but it was like throughout the show, there were these interspersed moments where they would put up quotes from like teen movies, like 10 things I had about you oh. and the such. Okay. And so, yeah, and they'd be like projected onto the back curtain and you'd hear the audio of it. And it was like, what's that doing here? And it was like never really directly addressed, which is, I think, always a nice thing when it's like an element's thrown in and you you trust the audience enough to sort of piece it together themselves. And they yeah. to be like, and Hold this is hand. why I made you listen to Julia Stiles' voice that time earlier. Yeah. Um, it was this nice thing where it's like... What do you think it was there for? Well, to kind of like... In my mind, it was kind of to point, and it's what it did in my mind when I was thinking about the show during and afterwards, like directing us towards what we think of our own experiences of love and romance and the stories that we've heard about that experience, the color, our experience of it as well. Mm. And the degree to which we, which I think is part of like growing up is like of the, the, to whatever extent you expect your experience of something like love to mirror what you've seen depicted in media totally. and the realization that there is a schism between those two things and the, the relationship you have with your experience of love in the first place and how much you want it to look a particular way and yeah. the, like the heartache that can exist if you are at odds with maybe your like romantic destiny. Mm. Is there also something in like the fact that someone's come in from Manila and maybe like these sort of movies are frames of reference for what Western life could be like? That totally makes sense. Yeah. In the same way that people learn English off friends. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah, yeah, completely. That's a really good point. Mm. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that was throughout. And then the, the, just to jump to sort of like the, what I felt was for me a large takeaway at the end of like the idea of romantic love being the frame around the puzzle of who we are. Oh! You know? Oh, I like that. Was a sentence I wrote down? Yeah. The idea of, yeah. So, like, 
Yeah, which which really resonated with me and at least my growing experience with an understanding of the way that I perceive love in my own life. Like, mm. the, the thing, yeah, feeling like, yeah, the love is the frame and we're, like, the puzzle inside it or That's something. really beautiful. Maybe. That's I don't nice. know. But I'm yeah, glad you wrote that down. Sure. <laughs> I do yeah. feel like a puzzle sometimes. And as well, I think even, like, a more explicit takeaway from the show as well was, like, having to learn, like, the peril of and the gift of, I suppose, of having to learn about ourselves through loving people? Yep. Yep. Yeah? There's no harsher teacher than love. Oh. <laughs> well, I... You, know, I, you can I, tell I, that was a good sentence because you sounded a bit British when you said it. Thank you, I do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I fully agree with you. I think the, you can't... To the, the only way to learn stuff about yourself is to sort of be... Com- and I don't like the fact that it's comparing to other people, but it is mm. to sort of compare yourself to other people that you are close with. In a way of like... You can only sort of, if you're judging yourself based solely on yourself, that's yourself in a vacuum. Mm. And you sort of exist with people at all times in your life. Mm. So those relationships do form a huge part of who you are. Sure. And so I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think that that's a really beautiful thing to say. Okay, sure. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I agree with that. And I think it's, as I've said before, it's like, it's really, like, it's devastating. And I don't know, but also is the way it has to be, I guess. Devastating that we have to learn so much about how to treat other people through mistreating people. Mm. And that is so upsetting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe it won't be like that one day. What will change? AI. Robots. AI. We'll, well mistreat robots. We are on the edge of a huge change with AI. We are. Mm. And then once we prove that we can, you know, love a robot effectively without hurting its feelings, then we're allowed to try it on people. And then we can fuck the robots. Then we can fuck the fuck out of those <laughs> robots. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, and I was here yeah, talking to my cousin's sister the other day about um, the thing of, like... A t- Just for the clarification of the people at home, he said cousin sister, which means it's his cousin who is very close. Cousin sister with a hyphen in the middle of the two words. Because otherwise your cousin's sister is just your cousin. <laughs> that I don't speak to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that whole attachment, which, which she taught me about, I had never heard of this before, but she was because she works with, like, like intellectually disabled children mm. and the thing of attachment... And how, when you're like very, very young, the way in which you organically and through like learning to deal with your caregivers determines a lot about how you react to love ongoing in your life. Mm. Um, yeah. And that's how like things like neglect or mistreatment and stuff early on in your life can impact the way that you're able to connect with people in the future. Well, yeah, well, they, wasn't there that horrible, horrible study they did in um like uh, Eastern Europe? I can't remember where it was, but there mm. was this horrible study they did back in like the mid 1900s mm-hmm. where they sort of like got a bunch of kids and just put them in a room and didn't touch them or hug them for ages yes and then all those kids grew up and just could not form relationships with people mm. because they had just been ruined by this experience of being neglected like that yeah yeah which is a horrible thing to do mm. to anyone no it's wild yeah adjacent to a war crime for sure mm. yeah yeah God. so I'm just I, I no agree. I That's yeah a, no it's just definitely it's a thing. so upsetting yes yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, learning to love. The way that it's so primal, but also, like... Yeah, and it comes from such simple physical triggers as well. Yeah. And it's so high stakes in terms of, like, what your life can become. Yep, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I was hugged enough as a child. <laughs> um, Omar Dabash plays, like, the good pal. So that's how these sorts of, like, tropes and stuff kind of feed into the stories that we then see in the play, sort of. Mm-hmm. The largest one being, I suppose, the, the Omar Dabash's character being, like the best friend that then sort of maybe becomes like a love interest like three quarters of the way through the tale that we're told. Oh, lovely. And it's just like, not only was it like lovely because it was a familiar trope that it was nice to sort of see upended in the way that the story unfolded, but 
I just need to get to the, the lighting. Like, I'm... <laughs> the lighting by Claire Springett, or Springett. <laughs> Don't know this person, but she's clearly talented. Sorry, Claire. <laughs> and also, congratulations, Claire, you visionary. Because when he, like... When Omar is like, let's date, maybe. There's somehow this, like, explosion of stars, like, across the oh. whole... St- so, oh! This is... And, like, Omar is also... And, again, it's, we, say, we like, hate talking about looks, but Omar is so handsome. Mm. And it's just this beautiful man, like, outstretching his arm, mm. being like, let's go on a date sometime. Star explosion! And it's one of those magical moments in theatre that just makes you go, oh, my, oh God, my God! This is what it's all about! Jesus Christ! Yeah. It's just like... No, Omar. Oh, what? No, Omar. Oh my goodness. Oh, 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 oh. Sorry, Omar. Sorry, Omar. <laughs> um, incredible. That was beautiful. There was also another like really lovely moment where Omar was rowing a gondola. And oh, somehow... you know about your history with gondolas on stage. Gond- <laughs> An on-stage gondolier. Was Connor Dariol the gondolier? Yes, there he you was. Go. <laughs> yes, his name was Gorgonzola. He was a gondolier and he fell into the water. Ah. <laughs> yes, no, Gorgonzola. on-stage gondoliers are really capable of changing Jake's life. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty simple. <laughs> Um, but he was rowing this gondola and somehow Claire had set it up to, for, for like, so I don't know if it was like Gobo or it was witchcraft, but mm. somehow it was like trees and stuff were passing by through oh the lights to make it seem like the gondola was moving around with us. Oh my God, the power of lighting. The uh, power of lighting. Mm, you need it to see. You need it to see. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a fact. And I also just want to say, uh, the director, Bing O. Oh, um, kept this thing moving and in like a, a talk with Sebastiano I had about it as well in like the rehearsal process and the development period it was like a, a, something that seems to have like added a lot of motion to and something that was a determining factor in how the show functioned on stage was like making sure that it, if ever things felt a bit laggy or low energy or got a bit dull for whatever reason it was like okay let's like keep it moving let's cut it let's change it let's make sure that every moment that happens on this stage is full of something and doing something and moving oh, this beautiful. thing forwards. And it was like really obvious because at the, by the end of the show, it was like the whole thing, it was in motion. Like one of the major things that me and Haley were talking about after we saw the show was like, it was never boring. It was always engaging. And the moment you were kind of like familiar with the shape or the energy or the tone of something, it would change into something else. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, which I think is just always a wonderful thing for anything to have, I suppose. Yeah, anything that's slickly directed and kept tight is like 100% better than it could be. Especially if, with something like this that is also so capable of like sentiment and warmth and like silence as well. Like Mm. it isn't just like TikTok brain. It's not just like Mm. and it's like, oh, there's still so much room for it to breathe and be itself and be weird and great. And yeah, and warm and beautiful and still to have a real motion to it. Great. I want to hear about some of the other six people. <laughs> sure. So, yeah. So, it was just like, uh, every time I think about this play, one of the things that of course comes to mind is like, I keep wanting to say the word masterclass, but it's not. It was more of a showcase of yep. Sebastiano's adaptability and range. Mm. He's so impressive. If I weren't obsessed with him going into this show, You'd I would have be been... You'd be obsessed by, with him now. I would have, yes. I mean, I never would have, I would never have the courage to introduce myself in the foyer afterwards, but I'd want to. I'd want to so bad. That's how good he is. <laughs> yeah, but I have the gift of actually getting to hug him after he was done and talking oh. to him about how fantastic he is. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, um, yeah, because it was like, he was doing accents. Well, a, a highlight of the accents he had to, because of course he's already done full-blown Irish for mm. Stopover. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, so he was Irish as this like sort of like devastatingly like charming Irish plumber a highlight of the show in terms of his accents especially <laughs> was he was playing like an Italian philosopher and he was, <laughs> and he said the word microscope <laughs> <laughs> 
I'd love to see the theatre with your brain. Oh, I'd love. I'd it love. changed my life. Microscope. <laughs> Microscope. It doesn't take much. And somehow he was doing this masterful Italian accent while speaking with the pace of this. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> you cannot see the wonder of the world if you look at it through a microscope. It was like, beautiful. What the fuck is going on? This is my favourite play I've ever seen. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, he also played like a sex dog at one point. Like, a, is, like a BDSM pup play thing? I'm glad you went that way and not just a dog you have sex with. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I'm <laughs> keeping it above the collar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he was in like one of those like leather puppy mask head things. Yep. You're familiar with this? Yes. Yes. Pup and play. then had like a like a, one of those like sexy harnessy leather top things yep. with like the thing that you, it looks like you can like hook them up to a crane and then throw them away yes <laughs> which is what they used for <laughs> yes. that's my understanding no they're just sturdy yeah. to be able to move people around yeah and they're like cute little like short pant things oh quintessential puppy outfit is it mm. yeah okay great yeah so there was like that going on there was like this really like condescending abrupt like young guy that like developed an app that energy oh i've succeeded in the business world and now i'm a piece of shit let's go to a nice restaurant oh yuck one of those guys um that's a lot of different characters yeah and there was like a guy that was like transphobic but then like had sex in a nightclub bathroom and then denied it and there was all transphobic about it like it was a full gamut that's a real range yeah it was a real range and sebastiano he handled it because that's what sebastiano does good on you sebastiano god i need to get off this like Topic. Soapbox, this, yes. <laughs> this slippery, slippery soapbox. God, it's so big. <laughs> Who put all this soap in this box? Um, I did. <laughs> it's Soapy Joe. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god, you sluts, we did it. We did it. It's been midsummerized. It's been midsummerized. The stamp of approval the stamp. from us. <laughs> this is the sound and of that that's stamp. Been Kajunk midsummerized. That's been. <laughs> It's been praised. It, it sure We've is. praised it. We, oh. Do you like that? That could be our new catchphrase. You're praised very it. lucky at home that you did not get to see the body language accompanying these declarations. <laughs> Just think horny. Just think horny, horny, horny. That's the body language I just used. Um, so thank you for coming on this midsummer journey with us, everybody. If you know where Roadrunner's going, let us know. Let us know where we that really goes. We really need to like, know. What? <laughs> yeah. And that's, I think, those two things should be said with equal importance. Absolutely. Midsummer's done. Where's Roadrunner going? <laughs> and does, does Roadrunner have a speech impediment? Does Roadrunner have a home? D- is that the full language of the Roadrunner species? One of the rules is that they can't ever explicitly use dialogue unless they're expressing pain. But is this a rule that you... No, this is one of the rules of, like, they yeah, write down... Is, is this a rule that only applies to people that are writing episodes of Roadrunner? Yes. Yes. So it's like how the Muppets can't lie to each other. Yes, exactly. Okay. So... So, What's your question? So we, I don't think we can navigate from a pers- like perspective of knowing the rules of putting together an episode. I think it needs to be more like the world of Roadrunner. What sure. else is happening? But I think there. in the world of Roadrunner, they can't speak. Okay. I, th- I think that's what they're saying. They, they don't speak. They, can't, they don't talk. Right. So if we fell into Roadrunner universe... We just be meeping around. Well, I don't know. We we would be able to probably. We probably shouldn't finish our midsummery final episode with a large roadrunner conversation. I think you're hundred percent correct, um, Jake. I'm looking forward to midsummer next year. Yeah, it'll be great. It'll and also be great. just yeah, pending theatre. Sure, yeah, no, I'm done like... with it until next year. <laughs> going into my cocoon. Um, um, yeah. So no, this has been so fun. Thanks for everyone, the, the, to everyone that had us along to their shows. Yeah, thanks to all the creatives, all the people involved. Yeah, it's been really, really wonderful. All yeah. the volunteers in particular, I want to shout out. <laughs> of course you do. Good yeah. on you. Um, and all the people that we got, like, got to meet and talk to. And uh, yeah, mm. I met a bunch of new pals from this. 
Yeah. And I'm really, really grateful of stories you wouldn't have seen otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so great. Yeah. Queer art is alive. And well. And living in London. What? Isn't that a line from Interview with a Vampire? I have not seen it. And maybe we shouldn't end our mid-summary by talking about... Look, it's Interview <laughs> with a Vampire or Roadrunner. You have to choose. I don't know if that's true. Um, if you're working on a show, let us know when, when it is and we'll come along and see it and talk about it on this podcast. Yeah. We're, we're hungry for theatre to see. Have us along. We're so hungry. <laughs> um, oh, you hear my tummy rumbling for theatre? As usual, we may already disagree with everything we just said. Yes, because opinions change and so do people. It's what you should do. Yes. Mm. Uh, and friends don't let friends become theatre. Theater critics. Mm. Yuck. Gross. Disgusting. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. Yep. Yeah. Midsummer done. See you soon, Jakey. We're gonna we've got some other shows to talk about. Yeah. So tune in, guys. <laughs> Listen up. <laughs> <laughs>